my, my father used to tell me, do you know how you can catch a butterfly? And he teach me this when I was a kid. He said, if you want to catch a butterfly, you should not run after it. You should make a beautiful garden and it will come by itself. And, and, and that's also, for example, a metaphor you can use for watches. You should not try to catch the wave and try to do what the others do. You should focus on yourself. Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. It has been 5,918 days since we last sold a watch on a blog to watch. That's right. We don't sell watches on a blog to watch. We just report about them. Isn't that right, Ariel? Yeah, I guess it's weird that we have to keep reminding people that. Like, <laughs> we're the magazine that's still the magazine. We have to tell people. Like, I think we have to be like, what is it, like a reverse influencer or something? No, maybe yes. that sounds silly. I, I just feel like it's hilarious. You know, at, at the beginning of the website on the header, we had to add that we're independent watch media. Yeah. Just to clarify, <laughs> which again, I, the team and, and others, like I've had brand people be like, you know, Ariel, you should on your website say that you're media just to remind people. And when the brands advise us to do it, I'm like, okay, that's probably smart. <laughs> I want one of those signs like you get on a building site at a nuclear power station, like you see in The Simpsons about the number of days since it was last a major accident. But I wanted to represent the fact that we've never sold a watch. The old kind of uh, JCB, we have not and will never sell a, watch, <laughs> sell a watch. But we are going to talk about lots of watches that are worth selling. But first of all, David, how are you this morning? Good, very well. Oddly, oddly energetic. I'm not buying anything. You're, not, you're just Especially not buying anything. <laughs> well, I, I, actually, I, I don't think I've ever bought anything in the morning. Come in the morning, <laughs> so for real. <laughs> before, like normally, it's that you're not supposed to drink before the sun is over the yard arm, but you don't buy <laughs> yeah. watches until the sun is over the yard arm. Yeah, it's the same thing. Great stuff. Well, we are joined by someone who I think it's fair to say that if you can wait until 2026, then it is worth buying one of his now incredibly sold out watches. Sylvain Bernron from Bernron and also like from Breitling. How are you, Sylvain? Good morning, guys. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very well, thank you. Is there really any point in speaking to you about this watch? Because we're never going to see one because you've sold them all already. Or, or, or do we just have to wait till the dive version comes out? I don't know. I mean, this is something I discussed with Ariel and, and David at, at length when I started this project. Uh, as I said it multiple times, I was ready to cross the desert uh, with bare feet, thinking <laughs> that I would be misunderstood by everybody except a few minority of, of collectors. Uh, and if someone would have told me that I would have uh, pre-allocate and effectively pre-sold three years of collection, even before we could ship the first watch, I would have never believed, to be honest. Yeah. So this project is turning out way better than I could ever imagine, to be honest. And I'm very grateful. And it's uh, one more time the occasion to thank uh, all the collectors who are backing us up. We are very touched, my Alex and I. I have to interject here because this is an expected outcome of the beautiful design. But Sylvan, I want to ask you an important question. What we know is that when something cool comes out in the watch world, there's the early adopter phenomenon where, you know, your friends, colleagues, um, the sort of the, the people who are willing to test new things, they all jump aboard. But then after you sell to those people, you then sort of have to do the real work if you want to grow as a brand. And you and I have talked about that a little bit, but are you prepared at all for when, you know, the, the, the early adopters all get their watches and then according to some people, the real marketing and promotion work starts? That's, that's, that's what uh, you are among these persons who, who told me this phenomenon. I, I actually did some research on it. It's called the, the, the law of diffusion. I think it's called where you, like you said, you have the early adopters first and then you have the, the first majority and then the late majority adopting the product. Uh, everybody told me, if that's the response you have now, uh, be prepared for a tsunami of uh, orders when the, the first watches appear in reality. At the moment, I am not ready, but I will work on it. That's <laughs> what I can say. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, so, so Marie, Alex and I are thinking now, uh, of course, I have to start the development of the second piece. Uh, I plan to launch a second piece for 2026. Uh, all the components for the movement, the casing, are in production as we speak. Everything goes very well. 
but my main focus at the moment is to deliver on what we promised, which means deliver the first 24 pieces uh, in spring next year, in four months. And I want to make uh, happy collectors first, that then we will take it uh, a step further. More and more these days, professionals such as yourself, Slavon, wear multiple hats and brand creator, watch designer, and of course, your important role at Breitling. What do you think is the right way, both from a personal level as well as from an outward-facing level, meaning the, 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 the perception? How do, you, how do you and others, how should you be juggling these multiple roles that sometimes can be confusing and you want to make sure that all parties involved feel that you're squarely in their, in, in their camp? It is, it is a very hard exercise because, uh, as you know more than I do, the, the watch industry is extremely conservative and extremely stiff. I have to applaud uh, my CEO, George Kern at Breitling. Uh, he's effectively supporting independent watchmaking uh, indir- indirectly, uh, effectively. Uh, but on a daily right. basis, it is, in fact, extremely complex. Uh, I have a team of 60 people at Breitling. Uh, they, of course, know that I'm at 50%, but not everybody in the company knows because this is not something we widely advertise. Uh, so sometimes I run in, in, in comic situations when I, I'm being requested for meetings, for example, on a Thursday, and I decline and people go like, wait, this guy is a C-level uh, so, so, uh, board member in, in the company and he doesn't take meetings because he says he doesn't work on Thursdays. Well, what's the deal here? Uh, <laughs> a little rock me. star <laughs> syndrome going on, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's like me. Like I don't wake up before a certain time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love so, it. so I, I, end up, I end up in these comic situations and, and uh, I have to manage my time extremely wisely so i try to to give input on a strategic level and on a very with a very top-down approach like george tells me all the time so george is actually mentoring me big time in order so that i can manage the time efficiently um, and for Bernard, it's also very rock and roll because i, I spend all my weekends of course the evenings uh, and it's a project that could easily keep me busy the whole week and yet i have to do it in four days so uh, thank god marie alix is uh, alongside with me to to help me on that uh but as i said i'm the first one to be surprised uh, I, I did a real leap of faith which is throwing 15 years of savings into a project that i believed in oh i just want to say thank you for that uh, sylvan and i encourage everyone to check out the blog to watch coverage of the burner on mirage which is a beautiful melted watch. <laughs> um, uh, if you like, if you like the Cartier crash, I guarantee you'll like this more. Yes, and well, although it's probably more difficult to get hold of one of these now, uh, the, I want to know because this is so different from anything that Breitling would ever produce, which is your main other hat. Whether this has scratched the itch that industrially produced watch design has has left void you know this is clearly everything that you could never do uh with a with a major brand so do you feel there is a cleansing of the system a cleansing of the palette for watch love that has been produced by bringing the mirage to market do you feel cleansed what what does cleansed mean exactly? My English cleansed. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you feel like you've had some colonic irrigation? Does that is that worse or better? So cleansed. Do you feel like you've definitely worse. Definitely <laughs> worse. Do you feel you've cleaned out? Do you feel you've cleaned out your system? Ah you yes, feel- yes, 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 yes. Okay, now I get it. Uh, uh, yes, indeed. I mean, I mean, uh, I've been working for big brands for fifteen years. Uh, IL and I had this discussion. Uh, uh, on the fact that a designer is not uh, should not work for a big brand trying to please himself. This is something I mm. tell to my guys all the time. Uh, a designer is here to uh, understand and respect the brand and he should play the, the same tone of voice and tone of music for the brand. So, And because it is a creative job, uh, as many creatives, we also have something inside that we want to express. We want to listen to our inner guide so to speak and after 15 years of working for big brands i had the, the, the extreme need to 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 express myself and and uh-huh. 
I didn't want to make a brand and especially not with my own name on the dial because to be honest, it is much easier to hide yourself behind a fancy name, much easier. Uh, all of a sudden, when you put your name on the dial, you have to own it and you have to be responsible for everything that goes either right or wrong. Uh, but it was, uh, as it appears, the only way to have a proper medium to to express this kind of work. Within the team, you say of sixty people, have have uh, have you accidentally encouraged any others within your team to go? Well, well, if Sylvan can do this, you know, is suddenly half the design department at Brightling squirreling off, dreaming of their own projects now that you've shown them how to do it. No, actually, uh, this is one of the concerns we had at the board, actually, that this could lead to some sort of uh, infection. Uh, and it doesn't happen <laughs> very much for two reasons, I guess. First, having ideas is one thing, uh, and it's already hard enough, but doing the execution is a whole other uh, ballpark because uh, you have to find the money, you have to have the consistency to do it, and you have to, to sacrifice, literally, your personal time, I lost, I mean, it's not very romantic to say, but over the past two years, I lost 75% of my friends and it hurts me to say it, but it is the truth. And I'm sure guys like Ariel who have an entrepreneurship pass know what I talk about. Uh, you have to sacrifice so much to put something, a project like this off the ground, like so many of my friends kept calling i'd be curious to business development can be a very lonely experience yeah really and i'd can. be curious to hear your feedback on that area because this is something i was not ready for i had friends who kept calling and say oh i'm in neuchatel where are you and i'm like look i'm working this weekend and you do that five <laughs> times in a row and these guys they just stop calling and i understand but as uh, this is the, the hard truth of uh, entrepreneurship and and maybe something we don't talk about often enough so uh, Sylvan, well, Sylvan would like some friends. So if you would like to be Sylvan's friend, email the show <laughs> podcast at no. blog to watch dot com. No. We'll, we'll run a competition. I, Sylvan, send in <laughs> headshots and uh, things you like to do. It'd be like a blind date, but for friends. So it's friends zone only. Sylvan's very happily married. Friends zone only. <laughs> if you want to be Sylvan's friends. And then uh, he, he can, you know, I don't know if he can get you cheap brightlings. He can't get you cheap watches of his own because he's not getting any left. I, I want to comment here, and I think that's a very important point that Sylvan makes about, you know, how your colleagues will change depending on what your role is. Uh, oftentimes, as an adult or as a kid, you know, friends really represent people you have shared struggles with. You're both trying to work on something. You're both trying to achieve something. And because you're both trying to do it and haven't entirely succeeded, perhaps, therefore, there's camaraderie. And once you have new challenges that your old friends may not experience or relate to, then you probably need to find new friends that are, are going through similar challenges. And what I've seen is the independent watch space, a lot of these individuals, they end up being very close together because they're sort of in the same uh, kind of challenge. But if one of them, their brand gets too big, or <coughs> they, um, you know, they start to do really, really well, or they change that, all of a sudden the group of people that they're, they're, you know, uh, they're friendly with changes. And so this is part of the entrepreneur's journey where you have to recalibrate and old friendships go away because unfortunately there's no longer a relatability there. And now a lot of your friends are going to be fellow brand owners who are trying to go through the same thing and you have yet a new set of shared uh, struggles um, that, that ref reflect your, your most current circumstances. So that's a, that's a real reality. And unfortunately, again, a lot of those friendships you need to leave behind, but what is left are colleagues and people that you can rely on and people who ideally can support you uh, by appreciating what you do. So it, it, it is it is a changing dynamic and it is emotionally difficult. It sure can be. Yeah. And, and to, to finish on, on the initial question from Rick uh, at Breitling, so we do not have a, a growth of independent uh, watchmakers, but we do have uh, the growth of young people who have lives that I would have dreamed of as a designer 15 years ago. I started working for BMW when I was 18. That was in like, what, 2008? Um, and, and now at Breitling, uh, I will take a concrete example. We hired a junior designer two years ago. His name is Nathan. Uh, he's 24 years old. Uh, he comes to work only on Mondays, just like I do. Uh, the rest of the week is home office and he trains to do uh, Ironman competition. So this triathlon event that 
who sponsor with Breitling and he's very happy to have four days of home office per week because he can do his training, which is running, cycling, swimming during lunch break or early in the morning and depending on his personal needs, uh, which on paper is extremely unprofessional the way we operate, but uh, he's one of our best designers. Uh, the work is consistently delivered in time. The quality is there. The guy is motivated. Uh, and, and this goes to show that um, I think... All generations, Y and Z, we have to dictate what is going to be the, the the working ethics of tomorrow because we work at a speed that is much, much higher than the previous generations. Uh, I have this discussion with my dad, for example. He, he had a corporate career for 40 years and he told me the peak of his career, he would receive 35 to 40 emails per day. And, and for Breitling, I receive 100 emails per day. Uh, so how am I supposed to do all this job if I can't uh, articulate the rest of, of the, the week uh, the way I want? David, you've been quiet this morning, uh, but you were yeah. right in at the entry level of seeing this watch and have followed its development from from a, a little piece of paper that we wrapped around our wrists to get an idea of what it may look like. What do you make of what has actually turned out? Well, it's uh, it's interesting because it just shows that it's you know some some a select few are capable, like Sylvan, for example, uh, you're capable of these uh, uh, hyper jumps, basically from like one stage to another through through your experience, through hard work, and it's just I don't think you know I believe that one of the most difficult things to convey to your to your customers and to the to our audience and to basically anybody is to to understand how much work and how difficult it is to go from a paper cutout that you wrap around your wrist to something that Swiss suppliers can actually put into production and series production. It's unbelievable. It's it's completely different disciplines and schools and and approaches and whatever else. And I think that is um, some area in the world of watchmaking that is very difficult to communicate because for one it's secretive, for two it's very technical, um, three it's you know thousands of emails and adjustments and. Uh, prototyping and whatever else and yet all of that goes into it and what we see most of the time is just the finished product and we've done countless manufacturer visits and uh, and and all that and you know lots of close-ups of people working on these things and even like computer screen uh, screenshots and whatever else from uh, movement developers and and yet I believe that for our audience and for us as well it takes years to even begin to grasp this void that lives in between the paper cutout and the finished uh, finished product and everything that happens in there yeah that's true and it's funny because uh, the three of you have seen as you said the early prototypes two years ago and we were discussing uh, how, how how could i put it together what would be the steps required and now we are more than two years later and then the first movement will be assembled next month actually right before christmas so it's uh, it's happening it's a christmas miracle <laughs> Art some more, Carl. <laughs> uh, I, I think the thing I would remark on is just how you have managed to stick to what you originally dreamed of doing. So when I saw the paper version of this two years ago, and this pretty much looks identical to what I think you actually envisaged in the first place, you've not been pushed down making tweaks by some mass corporate a collective telling you something you've managed to stick to your knitting and actually create what you wanted to create it, it does feel like you have absolutely no regrets especially now that you've sold them all but absolutely no regrets in, in going down the route you've done and i have to say the comment section on the blog to watch article go and check it out is probably the most overwhelmingly positive uh, feedback from and a blog to watch audience on a new watch I have ever seen. So go and uh, and check that out. Uh, Sylvan, when will the first watch be delivered? So we'll uh, we'll assemble the first movement in three weeks. Then it will go through what is called the chronofiable test, which which is an external company homologating the movement. So I want to do the testing for chronometry, precision, reliability, shock, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, then we're going to finish the production uh, and ship the first pieces as of April 2024. So we're going to ship the, the first 24 pieces over the second quarter. 
uh, and then this is how we're going to start and then we're going to produce 24 pieces per year for the next 10 years good well look forward to seeing the real thing in the flesh at some stage Okay, there are two big shows of various varieties going on in New York at the moment. One is a retrospective on the reversal, the reversal stories from JLC. The other is Planet Omega Exhibition. So my question to the three of you is, which one are you going to and why? Ariel, you can go to one, the JLC or the Omega. Which one are you going to and why? Um, I actually chose the Casio G-Shock 40th <laughs> anniversary event, oh. which was happening at the exact same time. So I had a different option. Um, it just goes to show how many overlapping things are yes. happening. Might, might you time. have had some skin in the game of that particular exhibition? Yeah. I mean, look, we had we had people at all the events. So Ripley from the Blog to Watch team was with Omega at Planet Omega, which was, you know, just a few blocks away, but you can only be at one place <laughs> at the same time. Um, it's It's really, for me, an interesting... I don't want to call it a brand evolution, but it's thoroughly solidifying what Omega is today. Um, Omega has made some branding changes, and Omega is uh, a lifestyle brand, a sort of a jewelry brand when it comes to that. They're trying to sell desirability. They're trying to sell who's wearing it. And I get it. I get it. But I think it represents a very different Omega than what a lot of people are used to. And what I'm trying to do as an expert in this field is reframe myself. We, we so easily get caught up in how we remember a brand, uh, but brands change all the time. And today, a lot of the luxury brands that are, you know, thoroughly luxury brands, you know, decades ago were just, you know, average everyday watches that no one spent what they considered luxury dollars on. So I'm open-minded to Omega being a different thing, um, but this is really part of that, that, that experience. Omega has reached very, very high um, I don't ever think they're going to be the same as Rolex, but they could be something different. Um, and I'm being—I—I I, I want to be optimistic for them. Um, and 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 I'm and I'm curious, you know, ten years from now, someone who didn't grow up with watches like we did, uh, what the, what they will feel, what they will see about Omega. So for me, it's really about this exercise and and rebranding. Uh, and I and I wish them well, but as you can see, it's a very difficult journey and i think most people that grew up with one perception of omega are just not really going to be able to transition to i think what uh Raynal, the ceo and, and the others want the world to see omega as right now so you're choosing the omega exhibition david omega or jlc exhibition in new york you can go to one which one are you going to uh omega i guess uh, I've, I've received so many emails from jager about events and so few about watches that i, I would just flip out <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I had to go there over the last four or five years, it's just been red carpet. This X Y Z wears, you know, whatever Reverso. And the struggle is real, David. Ever. The struggle is real. <laughs> it's never a watch. How is or they keep possible? talking about Fibonacci curves in a, in a rectangular case. I love this. They keep like if you actually look at the connection between the Fibonacci curve and the Reverso, it is scant. I mean, Silphon's watch is way more connected <laughs> to to this. So I, I I think we all love Reverso, but but. Compared to Omega, Omega is clearly doing the better branding job right now. But Omega is also throwing huge amounts of resources behind it. Mm -hmm. Sylvan, you going to the Reverso exhibition or are you going to the Omega exhibition? Uh, I mean, and I take take my my both hats off as a, as a watch enthusiast. I would go to the GGR events because I I love the quality of their watchmaking. Uh, but coming back on the Reverso, I think he chose the difficulties that it is. And we share that kind of difficulty at Breitling of uh, how to bring your icons uh, and keep them relevant in, into the 21st century. It's a very complex exercise because most of the time these pieces have been uh, created in an, over, uh, in an environment that is uh, the polar opposite of the world we live in today. So, so it becomes, uh, and, and for example, mm. this is the exercise I've done with my team on the Navitimer last year and the reverso is obviously a watch that has been built during the industrial revolution where people had very different lives so the question comes uh, how do you keep this watch relevant today and then i think this is why we see such such a strong effort to 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 keep this watch relevant but it's not an easy exercise so uh, well i am going to the Giger exhibit but 
I am standing outside with a sign that says, no one ever wore a GLC reversal while playing polo. It's a complete myth. There's just no way. I, I don't care what they tell me. Nobody. <laughs> somebody might have asked. And, There's and no vague, photographic evidence. Vaguely suggested. <laughs> I mean, it, when they tell the story, it kind of, it, they start the story, or somebody said a British, blah, 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 India, oh, Poe, and then it kind, of di- it kind of dies off, the story tails off. And as someone who has, who, who knows a bit about the subject, the only person I've ever known to wear a watch has been wearing like a Richard Meal or a G-Shock or something. So there's no way a 1900-ish watch was ever worn successfully playing polo. I just don't believe it. So show me the photographs. I want the evidence. So I'm going to the JLC one. I might sneak in because I do like them. Um, I might sneak in and just, you know, pretend, hide, hide my hide my sign. And, and, and also... I mean, the whole case construction of, of a reversal makes sense because back then we had only uh, plexiglass, so you want to protect the, the whole mm. the dial side. Uh, as you said, uh, for example, uh, synthetic sapphire glass Richard Mill is as efficient mm. as protecting the case by flipping it. So that could, for example, from a pure creative perspective, uh, raise the question of should a 21st century reversal uh, lose its flip side architecture to become thinner and have a uh, synthetic sapphire glass, which is uh, thicker and, and resistant to any kind of brutal shocks that you could put through it? Yeah, you, you see, Sylvain, you sit there, you design your own watch, it's a success, and then you move straight on to suggesting that the reversal should no longer reverse. I think I think you're getting ahead of yourself here. I think I think the, 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 the arrogance the arrogance of selling ten years worth of watches in one weekend now just means you think you can take on the world and you're choosing to take on JLC first. No, 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 no. I'm just brainstorming. Sorry if, I was, if it has been taken this way with some intention. So I'm starting. You know, there's this meme when everyone's sitting at a table and everyone's making stupid <laughs> suggestions, and then there's this one guy who makes the only suggestion. That makes sense, and they threw him out the window. Basically, <laughs> yeah. How about uh, the Nolan Mike, you'll be listening to this show doing the show notes. Mike, if you happen to be able to do one of those memes that just shows uh, uh, Sylvan suggesting that the reversal should no longer reverse, and then being lobbed out the window at the GLC uh, boardroom uh, for the show notes, that that would be that would be funny. Oh, you maybe they could just say it's been it's been permanently re- reversed, and that's it. Look at that. <laughs> you make you make a recto and a verso you make a recto which doesn't yes. sleep and shows the, the the time and you make a verso which is basically just a case back with nothing on it <laughs> I, why don't they I just love go that. the other way and rather than have reverso they just change it to a forward-looking thing and just call it the progresso yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's a good one. That's the okay, even that has the that. lowest chance of all. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Well, go and go and check out. If you happen to be in New York, be really interested to hear from you as to if you went to both as to which one you enjoyed. And if you went to Ariel's G Shock launch as to which one you enjoyed the most. Hi, this is Ariel Adams, founder of a blog to watch with a message about eBay. I visit eBay daily and have been relying on eBay to learn about and acquire watches for more than 20 years. Did you know that you can now buy watches directly from brands or their authorized dealers on eBay? Timepieces coveted by watch enthusiasts from brands like Zodiac, Loco, Parallel, and more are part of eBay's Certified by Brand program. Here's how it works. Luxury names are partnering with eBay to bring brand new and pre-owned watches and other luxury accessories directly to you. Certified by brand includes a minimum one-year factory warranty for watches and offers an unprecedented selection of new and used watches directly from the source, all with the peace of mind you can expect from eBay. Visit ebay.com slash certified by brand for more information. Ariel, you have reviewed a Disney Fossil Limited Edition sketch. We're, we're trying to go right across the wide variety of watches this morning, from Sylvan's uh, Mirage to the Reverso and Omega Planet Oceans, etc. We're now on hand-drawn, artistic, cheap Disney Times Fossil Limited Edition sketch watches. What is so appealing to you about this watch? 
Well, I'm always fascinated how major companies today are incorporating pop culture into their watches. You know, I've written about collaborations uh, and the best way to do it and the wrong way to do it. And, uh, you know, we go from having these like boring watches that just has like a, a some property logo on the dial to a little bit more creativity. Um, you know, and Fossil, that is not normally associated with Disney watches, did a, a few of these. Um, they're mechanical. And, um, you know, I, I, I like these directions because I think that we are, whether or not we like it, we can all agree that for the next 10 years minimum, there's going to be a lot of pop culture character-based watches. Um, and some of them are going to be great and some of them are going to be terrible. Um, and here we also have a rejuvenation of Fossil as a brand that they sort of want enthusiasts to be into, right? Five years ago, a mechanical, you know, Mickey Mouse hands watch from Fossil never would have come out. Uh, but I know uh, a little bit about what the, the brand is doing. So I'm trying to see for that entry level uh, mechanical watch enthusiast or just, you know, someone who, who doesn't have uh, the biggest budget, um, really where Fossil could sort of fit in. So this is, you know, the beginning of, I think, more interesting stuff here, you know, under $400. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I think the case is a little bit thick. Um, and I think that there's obviously, but again, it's the heritage case that they're going to be uh, continuing to do stuff on. So I overall found this to be a spirited watch and everyone likes it. But again, it's part of my larger journey to see how these pop culture icons meld with elegant watch design. And and again, this isn't perfect. I think one of the interesting things that's kind of weird about it is it's supposed to be Sketch Mickey. That's the one I have. They have a few others. And and as a sketch, it's supposed to look a little bit unclear, but you have this weird contrast where the hands are like much more vividly detailed than the Mickey itself. Um, and, you know, this is, this is a slight thing, but I just find it fascinating to see how the intersection of like super nerdy, you know, little details, proportions and things like that meld in with the incorporation of these pop culture icons. Um, you know, the, the Gerald Genta Disney watches were probably amongst the best at combining that sense of looking at a character from something you know with like, you know, really good, proper watchmaking and watch style design, which is sort of the bar, I think, right, for a lot of these. And that's sort of how I, I, I judge against it. But again, no one's getting any of those Gerald Gento ones for anywhere near <laughs> uh, this type of affordable $400. Sylvan, you're obviously involved at Breitling and there are a number of collaborations there. What makes a good collaboration? It's it's a good question. It's a tough exercise. Uh, generally speaking, I try. Uh, I think a good collaboration is uh, uh, when the other brand brings something that you do not have, or you would not be, you would not have the reputation to do. I think these are the best uh, collabs, in my opinion. And for example, here, Fossil and Mickey. I think the watch is very, very nice. I'm trying to scroll to see which size it is. Do we so? Do we know the? Oh, yeah, forty millimeter. So very well sized, uh, and, and I find the watch very cool. Actually, I should try to get one myself. It's very cool, this piece. I like it. <laughs> Breitling Mickey Mouse coming to a Breitling boutique sometime in 2026. <laughs> of it from, from Sylvain. Uh, what, is there any uh, collaborations, Sylvain, David, Ariel, that stand out for you from any brands as being that is just really well done. I think everybody has agreed that it's all about the collaborator bringing something that the brand effectively couldn't get away with doing itself off of its own back. Is there a watch that springs to mind as being just the best example or the most shocking example of a collaboration? Well, I'll answer with this. There's two features of the collaboration that you need to judge. One is the ultimate watch. Like, how nice is the watch? Does it, as Sylvan say, incorporate something that both sides need to, to contribute for it to sort of be satisfying? Or is the marketing relationship one that makes sense? And I think these are two very different things. For sort of enthusiasts like us, we're not really too concerned about the outward relationship, right? Does, does James Bond and Omega make sense? From a marketing perspective, everyone's like, yeah. Do the actual watches always look like they make sense? Some of them, absolutely. Others, not at all. It's just like a cheap, you know, like branding, marketing exercise. So I want to sort of distinguish between those two things. I mean, and I'll, I'll go back to Omega. 
you know, that one that Daniel Craig designed, the the Seamaster one that was in Titanium, I forget the exact name, it was the Commander, I don't remember what exactly it was called, but that one that was just so nicely done, Daniel Craig himself had input on it, it didn't say 007, it was the watch he wore in the movie, that for me is one of the the better examples of having success across multiple things, the watch, the story, and then the brand relationship. So for me, that is that is a good example of doing multiple things right. David, anything spring to mind? Well, you got me with the saying that that particular brand brings something to, to the watch brand. I liked uh, some executions on these collaborations because they were authentic in a way that like they uh, addressed multiple different um, aspects of the watch like Hublot and Ferrari I li- really liked those it was a long term thing it went way way beyond what others had done before it uh, when they, they would just plaster the Ferrari logo on a watch you know I, I really like that as far as like br- two brands collaborating especially carbon and watch brand for me uh, Ferrari and Hublot always uh, spring to mind just because it was so well executed and so well done for a long period of time but then again when Ferrari designed the watch it was terrible, um, you know. So it's 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 really interesting because it was basically unwearable on all sizes of wrists, um, which is a very uh, strange achievement. And yet they somehow <laughs> did it. it. It was a beautiful thing to look at and, and nicely executed in a way, uh, but it was basically like a car that nobody can sit inside comfortably, uh, which is kind of on brand actually <laughs> for Ferrari as a whole, at least. <laughs> so, Van, you ever been jealous of a collaboration that you've? that you've just seen come to fruition and gone, oh, I wish we'd collaborated with them? Um, nothing that comes to mind. What, what I can say from, from my experience at, at Breitling, we see it right away. And, and any collaboration is actually a double-sided sword, double-edged mm-hmm. sword uh, in the sense uh, you see it instantly when a collaboration is very good for the brand and brings something in. Uh, one example at Breitling, Breitling could be the collaboration we've done with Deus, the the, the Australian closing brand. And, yeah. uh, they, their collaboration with Breitling gave them the chance to venture into high-end watchmaking. Uh, so that is something they could not reach on their own. And for us, uh, that gave us the opportunity to step in the, the surfing and custom motorcycle culture. Uh, we also developed a, clo- a line of closing uh, together of Breitling's uh, X Deus uh, and this collaboration uh, works fantastically well both in the Deus uh, retail points and, and in the Breitling stores it's incredible So and, and this goes to show that none of each brand could have reached uh, that uh, stage without being together and this is to me where collaboration uh, really makes sense how often the three of you, uh, Sylvan, you maybe know this better than the rest of us, how often do brands knock back the approaches, that's watch brands, knock back the approaches of non-watch brands who pitch them an idea of a collaboration? Like, does it tend to be generic and that it just builds up to, a, yeah, let's do something together? Or is there like in the background a load of marketing people going around trying to pitch brands to watch companies say, oh, do a do a collaboration with us and the watch brands like, no, no, actually, we'd really rather not. Do, do we know, does that happen? Oh, yes, yes, it happens a lot. We have a, an entire uh, so-called partnership department at Breitling, right. which, okay. which works day and night to essentially protect the brand because the risk uh-huh. of these collaborations <laughs> is uh, a lot of... People want to build brands only based on collaborations. And and all they want is to partner with the biggest accounts they can reach to, hoping that this will artificially fuel uh, the exposure of their brands. But to me, a good collaboration works only when both parties have uh, um, a proper philosophy to bring to the table. Uh, otherwise it becomes quickly very empty uh, which is why I think collaborations can be extremely dangerous because uh, if you don't have a mix of black and white so to speak uh, or yin and yang you end up with this very artificial product that feels very commercial and very superficial uh, and it can create the uh, extreme opposite of, of what you intended in the first place hmm. 
interesting. Didn't know that it was just so busy in the background with uh, people pitching stuff. But that's that's a really it's interesting. It's a huge thing. amount. Yeah, it's a huge amount, Rick. There's con every every iteration you can conceive of is pitched, and really the bottom line is. A lot of people feel they can make a good product, but people are very insecure about selling it. So really what they're looking for is um, desirability peddlers. You know, Who can make the public want to buy this? Because what we know is that it typically requires a lot of time and effort to educate consumers about a new product. Even if it's amazing, it just takes a while to you know, expose enough people, educate them, find the right group. This is a several-year process. So everybody wants a shortcut, and they believe that they'll find someone out there who will just you know have the sway with the audience where they can bypass a lot of that sort of the uh, the, the hope of the influencer generation it's it's too much expectation but you know with the internet and data like a lot of bosses are like oh there is an immediate performance it's considered a failure so a lot of it has to do with some um, I think unreasonable expectations of, of managers as well as the perceived ability to guerrilla market everything when the reality is that's actually not how it's going to happen for most brands it's going to take time and effort um, and, and some patience mm -hmm. well here is a comment from the comment section let's see if we can guess what the collaboration is. I imagine that this watch is very helpful in tracking how far ahead Verstappen is of the Mercedes cars. If it had a Ratchapanti function, you could also simultaneously time how far ahead McLarens are also, or maybe the Aston Martins. Wonder if the second-hand porpoises too. Mercedes AMG fan here, but credit where credit's due. Two of the funnier comments I've seen on a blog to watch weekly. Any guesses as to who the collaborators might be? When someone uses the word purpose, you know that someone they really wants to show off that they are very much into Formula One. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm impressed. I have to say, uh, it's gonna be the IWC AMG uh, watch for sure. Yeah. So this, I think, this would be viewed as being a fairly successful collaboration. Although maybe with one brand in particular not having the greatest of times at the moment, it was perhaps a, a funner collaboration when they were winning things. But yes, this is the IWC Pilots Watch, the 41 AMG Mercedes. It's an incredibly long and ridiculously titled watch. But what do we think of the watch? David, does this float your boat as a collaboration and as an IWC chronograph? It's funny, if you look back at the last couple of years, everyone's making a Daytona now. And uh, basically, this is this is theirs. It's like a shiny ceramic bezel, you know, three counters. It's, it's, the recipe is so blatantly obvious that we've been seeing from, you know, some, actually many. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an odd one in some ways. And the one that I really like gets really expensive really fast. It's like 20 grand if you want the one with the black case and the black strap or bracelet, I should say. Um, you know, it's, it's weird. I was looking at these pictures the other day and I, I could see that even on IWC's pictures, it's like a large watch head on a narrow bracelet. And maybe it looks different in person, but on these pictures, it looks like, well, I guess we're ahead of our time with the bracelet and way behind uh, with our watch head. It's just, it's just a balloon attached to like an actually pretty cool bracelet, which is, uh, which is a novel, apparently relatively novel design. So it's, uh, I'm, it's not that I'm confused, but <laughs> there are bits that I like and bits that I really don't. And that is not something that makes me want to rush to an IWC boutique. Yeah, I was most surprised by the price jump as you go mm -hmm. up the various grades, the, the entry level is just under 10,000 USD and the top end tops out at just under 20,000 USD. Uh, Sylvan, you're an IWC aficionado of uh, past hat wearing. What mm -hmm. do we think of this? Uh, I like IWC. I like their uh, their mindsets. Uh, rebounding on what David said, the the large case slash small uh, or, or narrow strap uh, is actually to me probably the, the one of the biggest IWC points in, in this product because it is very typically IWC to have narrow straps. But uh, I, I agree with David in the sense that uh, 
you can read in between the lines what was the the target uh, making this product and i think it, it shows a bit too much i have no doubt that this is extremely well executed and reliable and precise and uh knowing their their level of manufacturing but uh the the comparison I could do is it remembers me when uh, my my father used to tell me do you know how you can catch a butterfly and it was funny he teach me this when I was a kid he said if you want to catch a butterfly you should not run after it you should make a beautiful garden and it will come by itself and 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 that's also for example a metaphor you can use for watches. Uh, you should not try to catch the wave and try to do what the others do. You should focus on yourself. Has done it good enough, then people will come, but they will come for who you are and not uh, because they want to. I love that. That's very true. Yeah, I love that. That's... Ariel, brief thoughts on this? I like this collection a lot. I think it's handsome. I don't refute anything which has been said already here. I'm not as concerned about the sort of tapering bracelet. Um, given that this watch isn't their most wide, it's 41 millimeters, I don't think it's going to look like this really big watch case with narrow narrow uh, strap or bracelet, but you know, we'll have to see it. I think that you know this is an overall very nicely executed watch. I have high hopes for it. Um, you know, as an enthusiast, you kind of laugh. You're like, wait a minute, pilot's watch, racing. I'm, you know, confused a little bit. Like the the theme that this watch is supposed to be is confounded for sure. I mean, it literally has automotive, t- you know, terms on it. And it says pilot's watch on it. It's like, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to have a, a sensible tool, this, this doesn't make sense. From a fashion perspective, from IWC trying to assert a certain look for themselves, I completely understand understand where they where they went about promoting this. I guess for me, you know, is I'm looking at these prices and I'm guessing this is the new normal. Um, I'm not thrilled with it. I think that this watch, you know, should have been half the price to be honest. But this represents, I guess, the current level of production uh, because if they make less watches, they need to charge more for it. So my hope is that is that the deal they're making with the community is we're going to charge you more, but the watches are actually going to be more exclusive, meaning we're going to not make as many. And that, and that's yet to be seen, uh, but my hope is that that is at least what brands like IWC are offering in exchange for what are admittedly pretty high prices. Great stuff. Right, we have five minutes left. Five-minute warning, so we're very quickly, and that's all directed at you, Ariel, we are very quickly going to play a round of hit-miss maybe on three watches. The Tissot T-Touch, the Bremont at Waterman Apex 2, and the Stealthy Bellenross BR0394. So first up, the new Tissot T-Touch Connect. This is actually one of the watches, the original one that I own, that's still one of my favourite watches. But is this new iteration very quickly? One word answers, a hit, a miss, or a maybe, Ariel. Let's do your best. Hit miss maybe for the Tissot T-Touch Connect. I haven't reviewed the current generation. I reviewed all the all the previous ones. I have a soft spot for the T-Touch and all its iterations, even though it's not always today a class leader in all of the the, the functionality. But it's it's a very fun watch. So I I'm it's optimistically hit for me. But I haven't worn the newest generation yeah. yet. The newer one is at least smaller than the monster that preceded it. It was a Formerly very neat watch that is now back to being quite neat. David, hit miss maybe on the T-Touch? I'll call this a hit for sure, yeah. Great stuff. Uh, Sylvan, Breitling have this kind of technology in their stable in terms of digital interfaces, etc. Is this something you're jealous of? Is it a hit or miss or a maybe? Yeah, to me it's a hit as well. Uh, I have some friends who run these kind of watches, especially for cycling, and they really love it. So I've never wore one myself, but uh, it's, it's still a hit for me. Excellent. That's what we like, nice and concise. So Bremont Limited Edition, Bremont Waterman Apex 2. A hit, a miss, or a maybe, David? Uh, I'll call this a maybe, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, a half as maybe. <laughs> a, a, a less than enthusiastic maybe. <laughs> Ariel, hit miss maybe on the this from Bremont. It's a bit of a miss for me, unfortunately. Yeah. I love. I love a lot of these watches. I have a different version of this in for review. I think the problem for me is that this is really a dive watch. They sort of turned into a GMT. It does not have a bi-directional bezel. It has a unidirectional one. It's just that, you know, that that um, 
the 2893 um you know at a GMT movement which is fine but i think at this at this price level uh, consumers expect a little bit more of um a, a GMT focus in terms of the, the a slightly more modern or, or advanced movement and a couple a little bit less of sort of a, an adapted uh, dive watch design Th- these are these are pretty and 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 the size is good but I, I just don't think this is where your, your money is best spent in Bremont. Yeah, bit of a dog's breakfast for me. It's a miss. But what about for you, Sylvain? Hit miss, maybe? Uh, I agree with both. To me, it's a maybe combination of it is, is very hard to pull off, in my opinion, as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, cook. A final watch for today. The Bell & Ross BR0394 Black Track Limited Edition. I really like this. This is a hit. What do you guys think, Sylvain? Let me see. I'm trying to see the watch. I haven't seen it yet. Can you ask Ariel and David first? Yes, I'll ask Ariel. (laughs) It's a hit for me. Ariel, what do you think? Going to the conversation earlier about collaborations, you know, there's this very specific kind of motorcycle and they tried to make a watch that fits with it. And it kind of does. If you've never seen the motorcycle, you can still enjoy some of the design elements here. Um, I've always loved it when Bell & Ross takes their core designs and then makes these interesting evolutions they never just do a new dial they always you know vary up the case and hands and things like that so there's you know a lot of new parts here uh so for me this is a hit excellent david yeah hit for me as well at 6900 i appreciate that it has a new dial and what appears to be a case that i've never seen before Mm. uh yeah just overall a cool cool execution i like it great stuff so finally for you yes i've seen it now and and it's a hit for me as well i especially like the case with the chopped corners so to speak mm-hmm. uh, i like to believe that the, the guy who drew this actually has some motorcycle riding experience because uh, these corners that have been chopped are typically the kind of stuff that would uh, rub your sleeves or, or make the watch extremely uncomfortable while riding a motorcycle so this is really on mm. point i think it's very cool great stuff well that's our show for this week i What is everybody doing very quickly? Ariel, you're in Dubai first day. I will be here, yeah, for more than a week. And there'll be, I don't know, probably close to 100 different meetings. About 60 or 70 of them are with specific brands. There's going to be podcasts, lots of hands-on stuff. So um, it's going to be a very busy week uh, for me here in, in, in the Middle East. Excellent. David, plans? Oh my goodness, there's so many, so much stuff up in the air, I don't even know where to start. It's just a lot. <laughs> just keep, keep keep checking on blogtowage.com is all I can say. Excellent. And Sylvan, where can people find you on the internet? I assume your only plan is making watches. Yes, yes, find yes, you? yes. I'm currently working on them. Uh, Breitling for, what do we do, 27, 28 currently. Uh, wow. Berneron is 26. And you can find me on Instagram at Berneron, B-E-R-N-E-R-O-N. Excellent. Well, thank you, Sylvain, for joining us. Loving the watch. Uh, thank you, everybody else, for listening. Have a great day. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye-bye.